the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He's been recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. Call him now at 866-970-9622. That's 866-970-9622 and Ask the Lawyer. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hello. Okay. Now, for those of you who don't know this show, and, you know, we've had an irregular schedule for the last few months because of football and baseball and hockey and basketball, <laughs> uh, this show is in two parts. The first part of the show is about estate planning and elder law, and the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going to court, avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. And if anybody out there wants to learn more about estate planning and elder law, give us a call at Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. Now, with the station now, each week we we answer some of our questions on the Kevin McCullough Show, and... You know, Kevin reads through some of the questions and, and then plays them on his show. And then tonight we're going to play some of Kevin McCullough. Kevin McCullough can be heard from Monday through Friday on 970 The Answer. James, can you play the Kevin McCullough? Hello? All right, we got some technical difficulties here. Okay, Beth, you have a question that you, you have through the email. Yes, I have a few questions, but let's start. The first one is from Rosa Maria. I ha- only have one child. I'm putting the down payment for her and her husband's new house. I like her husband right now, but what steps should I take to legally protect myself and my daughter in case they get a divorce? Okay, well, the way to do that is you sign a promissory note on the amount of the, quote, gift for for the loan. So, in other words, the husband or maybe both of them sign a promissory note, IOU, X amount of dollars, and in that case, if there is a divorce, they still owe the money back to you, at least for the down payment. So, it's not that hard a question. We got Kevin ready yet. Okay, Kevin McCullough. Hi, Kevin McCullough. Every week we tell you that you can ask the lawyer. Uh, You can do that both on his show on AM 570, The Mission, Saturday mornings at 8 o'clock, or AM 970, The Answer, uh, Saturday evenings at 6. 
But you can also ask a question here on Kevin McCullough Radio because Michael Connors comes of Connors and Sullivan and asks some. And in the mailbag this week, Michael, there's a question from a man named David. He said his parents attended one of your seminars in November, which are highly recommended, by the way. And they're interested, David's parents are interested in setting up a trust for tax purposes and protecting their assets from Medicare. He's wondering, since their only asset is their home, and evidently it's worth a lot of money, uh, is it advantageous to set up a trust and to put that home in it? He also had a couple of follow-up questions. Is it wise to borrow against it as it is in a trust, et cetera, et cetera? What's your general feeling on putting, uh, if, you're, if it's your only asset, your home, into a trust? Well, that's even more reason to put it into the trust because that's all you, what you have. I mean, especially he says it's worth a lot, which most houses in, in New York are worth a lot. But if, if you want to protect your house from medical bills, Medicare, he puts Medicare, really medical assistance, Medicaid is what he's trying to protect it against. You put your house in the trust, you protect the house immediately from medical bills not covered by insurance. As long as one of the parents lives in the house for five or more years, it's protected from nursing home bills. And it goes out tax-free, free of probate. So, yes, that's the main reason you do a house, uh, do a trust, is to protect your house. Now, whether you want to borrow against it or not, that's a separate question for an financial, financial planner. And you can get a loan against the house if it's in a trust. It's just not quite as easy. But, yes, we do want to set up a trust if your major asset is your house, your real estate, because a trust is the only effective way to avoid probate, get the house out tax-free, and protect it from nursing home bills. Sounds like a good plan. And, friends, if you have questions, uh, Mike Connors is ready to answer them on his radio shows and also via email, Connors at gmail.com. You can also uh, write or uh, call the uh, add the question hotline of the week, 347-735-MIKE. That's 347-735-6453. Uh, but uh, Mike Connors will be listening on Saturday, and thanks so much. Uh, 347-735-MIKE. That's 347-735-MIKE. Okay, so that's where if you want to send a question, that's where you send it to. Now, the second part of the show, and they're not equal parts by any stretch of the imagination, we talk about politics, history, religion. Tonight we're going to focus a little bit on politics. We have former Congressman Michael Grimm from Staten Island, Brooklyn. Controversial to say the least. He was, did you hear some background noise there? Yes, Otto wants to be on the show, and I'm so sorry. What can I say? One day we have to let him on because he likes to help people, too. No, he's a dog. He doesn't really understand He helps people so much, he makes them happy. Okay, well, Michael Grimm, a somewhat controversial figure, in that he was convicted of a crime, in that he owned a restaurant and he paid a dishwasher and a delivery man off the books and for that horrible crime he was convicted by the obama administration and sent to prison so if life's fair tell me the other uh the other guest on the show is bud robertson great historian from virginia big fan of robert e lee and stonewall jackson and he's going to be talking about robert e lee and how it's really unfair for Robert E. Lee to be pilloried in the, uh, you know, politically correct media today. Because Robert E. Lee was a man who, after the Civil War, the war was over. He, you know, he looked for peace. He tried to have peace. He tried to have better relations. So whether you agree him or not, Bud Robertson certainly got a very good perspective and a very knowledgeable perspective on the Civil War. And by the way, if you're, if you're interested in joining the Civil War Roundtable, you can either give our office a call at 718-238-6500, or you can call us at 
Or you can call the line, you know, that they have on the dispatch, which is 718-341-9811. There, you know, this this month's uh, meeting is probably filled and it's probably a little bit too late to get a ticket. But next month we're going to have on Michael Corder. He's going to be on Monday, January 8th. Michael Corder is the son uh, or the nephews of the great movie producers from England back in the 1930s and 40s, the Corder brothers. And he has an interesting perspective, but he wrote an exhausting biography of Robert E. Lee, and he's going to be talking about We're going to have two Robert E. Lees month to month. So if you want to check into that one, give, give us a call. The Life and Legend of Robert E. Lee on Monday, January 8th. You can always call us at our office at 718-238-6500 if you have, want any more information about the Civil War Roundtable of New York. All right, James, we'll play a couple of commercials, and then we're here from Michael Grimm. The Guild for Exceptional Children, or GEC, has been providing excellent care to children and adults with developmental disabilities since 1958. It is our mission to help build better lives and brighter futures for the people in our care. We serve nearly 1,000 individuals each day and are proud that 90 cents of every dollar is used for actual services. Please visit www.gecbklyn.org or call 718-833-6633 to learn more. Mike Connors, host of Ask the Lawyer and published in New York Magazine's top-rated lawyers. Whether assisting a client with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, nursing home plan, or other matter, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of their clients' rights and interests. Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, has dedicated attorneys that can help you with estate planning, elder law, and probate. They listen to their clients to learn about their families, their financial picture, and their long-term goals to create a comprehensive plan to meet your objectives. They assist with the complex tax matters that are often involved in estate planning and probate. Contact Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, with offices in Brooklyn, Queens, Midtown Manhattan, and Staten Island to schedule a free consultation with an attorney. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. And listen to Ask the Lawyer right here every Saturday evening at 6. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. With me right now is my former congressman, Michael Grimm. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me. Okay, you look good. Now, I saw a little while ago that you announced your bid to take over your old congressional seat. That's correct. October 1st, I made it official that I'm running for my old seat again. Now, the seat's currently held by a Republican. Uh, technically, that's true. Okay. <laughs> well, why have you decided to run? Uh, well, I just said technically. Um, well, let's say, first of all, um, I'm running for the exact same reasons that I ran the first time. Uh, the same reason I enlisted in the Marine Corps when I was in college and, and left and volunteered for combat. The same reason I um, accepted a position with the FBI and worked deep undercover for all those years. You know, I love this country enough to give my life for it. I believe in service. It's in my blood. Um, sometimes I question why, but uh, it is in my blood, and I love to serve. It's it's the one thing that fulfills me. And serving as the representative uh, for Staten Island in Brooklyn, without a doubt, was the highlight of my life. I enjoyed it that much, and I was very good and effective at it. Add to that the fact that, as you just mentioned, my uh, primary opponent, Danny Donovan, is a Republican, but he hasn't voted like a Republican at all, and he's been, for me, 
um, on not on a personal level, but on a professional level, a very big disappointment and not supporting our president at all is just unacceptable to me. What do you mean by he's not supporting our president at all? You look, I mean, uh, they, they twist numbers and they try to come up with things to fool uh, the general electorate. But here's the reality. Our president has had three major initiatives that he's asked Congress for help with. The first would be immigration. The second would be repealing and replacing Obamacare. And then the third would, would be right now what's happening in Congress, which is tax reform. So if you look, Donovan voted against repealing Obamacare. He voted against the bill for sanctuary cities. I mean, that's amazing to me. But he actually voted against the ban on sanctuary cities and sided with Mayor de Blasio on that. And now he voted against tax reform. So he's three for three on all three major initiatives coming out of the White House and coming directly from President Trump. Quite frankly, it's exactly what the president campaigned on as a candidate is this is the agenda that the American people voted for. And Dan Donovan has voted against it all three times. Okay, so you're going to be taking him on in a primary. Correct. Some people might say you have some baggage. Oh, there's no question I have baggage. But I, I would just ask the people that pay attention, um, for the hardworking people of Staten Island and Brooklyn, they know that you know an investigation started under one thing, which was campaign finance, which from the very beginning I said was completely bogus, and it was, it was nothing to that at all. And I felt very confident, and I, and I acted accordingly. Um, it turned out later that they used that excuse to get under the hood and look into a business, specifically a restaurant that I owned, five years before 2014 when I was actually indicted. And it all came down to three delivery boys and a dishwasher off the books. Now, I, I admit, I did have three delivery boys and a dishwasher off the books. I shouldn't have, and I did. And for that, I apologize, and I was wrong. But it was a civil wrong. In the entire history of our city, no one has ever been criminally charged, even charged, let alone prosecuted, for having people off the books. It's always been a Department of Labor civil fine. I deserve the fine. Um, even though I sold the restaurant in 2009, years before I became a member of Congress, um, even though the restaurant had been shut down for almost four years by the time they did this indictment, it was a civil wrong, and I take full responsibility civilly. But there's only one reason I was charged criminally. The political corruption of the Obama Justice Administration was weaponized against me, and they wanted me out of office. And if I wasn't a very effective Republican member in the only, as a matter of fact, the only federally elected Republican member, but an effective one here in the city of New York, they probably wouldn't have gone through so much trouble. Because I was so effective, they wanted me out of office, and that was the only way they could do it. Can you explain that a little bit more? Because there might be some people out there that are not that attuned to political things. Why would they want to get rid of you? Okay, and well, who was it that got rid of you? Sure. Well, I'll tell you. A deal, I was told before the indictment, again, an indictment for delivery boys off the books. And again, for those that, that don't understand, small businesses here in New York, to get a dishwasher, for example, on the books is almost impossible. When you know college students today, look, millennials today won't wash their own dishes at home. You think they're going to work at a restaurant washing dishes? It just doesn't happen. So it wasn't to save money on taxes. The liberals want to paint me as a guy that didn't want to pay my taxes. Simply not true. When they went through all my personal taxes, they couldn't find one discrepancy, not even one. Not 10 cents was I off. I always paid all my taxes. In the business, we couldn't get anyone to take the job as a delivery boy or a dishwasher on the books. So I deserve the civil fine, no question about it. But they tried to beat me at the polls several times. They put millions upon millions of dollars in my last race against the, the councilman Dominic Recchia here in New York City. They put $5 million of super PAC money from Nancy Pelosi, $5 million to beat me, and I still won by 12 points. So the only way they could get me out of office and shut me up, quite frankly, because I stood against the Obama administration, I was a very outspoken, 
advocate against the policies that were coming out of the White House. The only way they could stop me was to criminalize me. So they took a civil matter and they made it a criminal matter to get rid of me. And I know that the deal was made with Loretta Lynch. Now, now you might know that name. Back then, no one did. She was the U.S. attorney in Brooklyn that, quote unquote, took me down. And that catapulted her into becoming the attorney general of the United States. And she's then the one that protected Hillary Clinton. So it's, it's all the same players, Comey and, and Loretta Lynch um, and the Obama administration. Okay, now you worked for the FBI. How long were you with the FBI? Yes, I was, I was an agent since from 1995 to 2006. It was almost 12 years. Uh, it was about 11 and a half years. And my last almost, well, I'd say five and a half, almost six years, I was deep undercover. So I did a lot of good work with the FBI. You know, an institution that I, that I love. Um, I really, in, it was an honor to work there. And I worked with great Americans, really good, good, good-hearted people that work hard. But here's, you know, it's unfortunate. But if you speak to the agents that were working the Hillary Clinton case, for example, with the, with the email scandals and all of that, they were absolutely disgusted. And what's funny is it's the first time in recent time that it was so publicized just how political the Justice Department, Justice Department can be. And to say that the FBI wasn't political, just look at what, what Director Comey did by giving his, his notes to her ultimately to the hands of a reporter. Um, I think it shows you that politics at the highest level does pervert, pervade our justice system. It doesn't happen all the time with average cases, but because I was a U.S. congressman and one that the Democrats wanted to get rid of, that's why they were able to use the power of the Justice Department to get me out. Now, I've heard other guests on this show who've been the victim of that say that if the Justice Department of the United States of America wants to get you, they can get you. Oh, that's absolutely true, and I knew that as an agent. I knew that as an attorney. Anytime the federal government wants to go after you they will find something that's just a fact because they have first of all federal law is written so broad it's so ambiguous that they can make almost anything a crime and uh, sometimes they do again this is not the norm most fbi agents and most prosecutors you know follow the law um, and respect the law and they do not try to go after the average person and and use political um aspirations to do so but you can't deny the fact that many prosecutors often go into politics by taking down that big person of notoriety so if you're the average joe um you know let's say the drug dealer or whatever on the street most likely there's no politics involved in your case but there are cases like hillary clinton like mine like many others that if you are a person of interest in in the political arena you're a target number one if you're a very big name whether you're a billionaire or some type of um, you know, mogul in real estate, if you're a very big name that could make the career of a prosecutor, you always have to be worried you're a target. Okay, we need to sh- take a short break. We're talking to Michael Grimm, former congressman. Thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death. And it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. 
To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. Whenever I sit down with a homeowner, the number one question asked is always, which reverse mortgage option is best for me and my family? I personally will help you decide which reverse mortgage program is best for you. My job is to help active retirees find the best solution for their retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward, objective information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call 888-943-2646. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome back to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. We've been speaking to former Congressman Michael Grimm, and he was talking earlier about he was undercover in the FBI. What exactly did you do? Well, I was one of uh, a very, very small select group that did deep undercover work. So what that means is it's, it's a little bit like the movies. Um, you see Donnie Brasco and movies like that where you assume uh, an identity. Uh, a false identity um, and infiltrate a target group of, of bad guys that you're investigating and work among them, live among them. And you just assume that role and you capture usually wearing a wire. Um, you capture on tape them discussing the criminal activity and laying out the, the crimes that they're doing and sometimes even partaking in the crimes themselves. Like when I was undercover on Wall Street, I was the first Uh, agent to successfully infiltrate Wall Street for the FBI. It was a very big case, very successful case. Uh, Over 50 defendants in the end, uh, and I believe 100% um, uh, conviction rate, as a matter of fact, something I'm very proud of. But I was actually working every day with a a small group that was scamming their their customers that were investing in different things, including foreign exchange, currencies, and things like that. And I I was given permission by the Department of Justice to engage in, in stock fraud, to engage in money laundering, and to engage in other type of manipul- market manipulations, which I did. So it was an interesting case, um, and it was a very effective case because the problem that the FBI was having is they were getting all the guys on the bottom of the bottom rung of the ladders that were left holding the bag, and a lot of the individuals that were scamming on Wall Street that were creating the crimes were getting away. So this was this undercover sting operation was the only way to really get to the top rungs of the ladder, and, and we did that. But I also worked uh, deep undercover against uh, dirty cops down in Florida, dirty politicians in New Jersey. I used to I was actually bribing politicians, and I used to wear a video camera as well. So on video, bribing them to make sure that they would vote for my company to get whatever favors or um, contracts from the cities that they represented. So it was a 
it was like living in a movie. Uh, it was very dangerous at times, especially the, the dirty police officers. And it was always very, um, let's just say that the anxiety levels were very high, very stressful position to be in. But but it was so rewarding when, when we made the case against people we probably couldn't have made the case against in a traditional investigation. Now, before entering the FBI, you were in the United States military. What was your job? I was a Marine Corps. So I was... Um, Basically, I was a grunt. I was a battery-operated grunt, as we say in the Marine Corps, because I was a radio operator. Um, but I had volunteered for combat in the first Gulf War, and um, I was very lucky that I lived. My, my Humvee was going through six miles of minefields when we hit an anti-tank mine. It blew up the back end of my Hummer um, by the grace of God. For whatever reason, that mine didn't explode when it should have. It delayed for about a second, second and a half, uh, which is what saved my life. Ultimately, I had shrapnel in my flak jacket, but not a scratch on me, so... Um, but later that night I got, I got another, another Hummer, went right down the same road again. And we had taken a lot of prisoners. Um, the problem wasn't taking care of the prisoners. We had enough Marines to take care of the prisoners, but the Kuwaiti people that had just been, you know, pillaged and and all these atrocities that the Iraqis did against them, they wanted retribution. So we didn't have enough Marines to keep the prisoners safe from the Kuwait, the Iraqis safe from the Kuwaitis. So we had a bit of a quandary and they said, bring them back walk them because we couldn't send big trucks through the minefields they would have they would have been in danger walk them through the minefield um back to safety so i i took point and i led in pitch black you couldn't see your hand in front of your face um we had some glow sticks and things like that and handheld flashlights to find the way and we went through six miles of minefields back to the 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 border of saudi arabia and uh, brought the prisoners back so i was i was actually recognized for valor and given a a rare combat meritorious promotion, something I'm pretty proud of. Now, today, the Middle East, ISIS is on the run, although you never really hear about it on most of the major media. Well, that's because it's a victory for Donald Trump. The reality is that Donald Trump came in and he handed over a lot of the reins to the people that should actually be in charge, the generals on the ground. Um, That doesn't mean he doesn't ultimately make the call. He does. That's what the commander-in-chief does. But a good commander-in-chief listens to those that are on the ground, seeks their advice, and works closely with them to implement their strategies. The overall policy is going to come out of the White House, but the strategy on the ground really, to be effective, needs to defer to the generals on the ground. And that's exactly what our president did. President Trump had enough courage and, I believe, confidence in himself to trust those on the ground that are doing the job. And what we've seen is they've implemented those new strategies. They're much more aggressive. Uh, the, The way they engage the enemy and so on is much more effective. So, yes, we are decimating ISIS on the ground. Um, unfortunately, this is a difficult enemy because it's not just ISIS, right? It's Al-Qaeda and all the ISIS Al-Qaeda affiliates that use the Internet very successfully to recruit. And that's why you have a lot of what's going on throughout Europe and even recently here in the United States. Again, as far as the foreign affairs go, our military How do you think you can better serve the people of Brooklyn and Staten Island than our current congressman? Well, I think exponentially better. Um, First of all, foreign affairs is something I was very involved in when I was in Congress uh, for the four years that I served. And a lot of that is because of my own passion. There's a reason I joined the Marine Corps. There's a reason I volunteered to go to the Middle East. Um, This is something I'm passionate about, so much so that, as I said before, I, I would give my life. Uh, to defend us. And I think that the only way we can be effective in Congress is to fully understand not just the enemy, but the culture. One of the things I was trained in before I went to the Middle East was the Arab culture and so on. It it is different. And if you don't understand it, 
um, you're doomed to make the same mistakes over and over again. Um, we are fighting an ideology more so than human beings. We're fighting the ideology. If we do not take on that ideology, this war will not ultimately be won with guns. It will not ultimately be won with our soldiers and Marines on the ground. Yes, that's part of it. We have to win on the ground, but we also have to defeat the ideology. And as someone that has studied this for many years and has been involved in it and, and has you know, been in the Middle East many times. Listen, I've been to, to Iraq, Afghanistan. Um, I served in Kuwait and Saudi Arabia. Um, I can go on and on. I've been to Dubai and Abu Dhabi. I understand their culture. I understand the the enemy that we're facing, and I also understand the mentality of our troops and what they need to stay motivated. Because I was a troop on the ground. The you know, we have the best armed services in the world by far. There's no one that even comes close. There's not a close second. But we can't take it for granted. Okay, we we need to take care of them when they come home. We need to better integrate them into society when they when they get separated from from the military. Um, we need to make sure that the VA is taking care of their medical needs because they, they are exorbitant. Um, they just There's so many things that our military needs. And when they see us not taking care of the veterans' home, how do they stay motivated on the battleground? So there's so many there's very complex issues that go into keeping our military as great as it is. And I believe I understand those issues because I've been through, I've actually have ex- on-the-ground experience in a lot of them. How can you help if you're in Congress? Well, many ways. Number one, I think the most important thing I can do is support our president. You know, we have, we're at a pivotal point right now. Donald Trump was elected mostly because of the frustration and outrage of the American people that are tired of being ignored. That the the silent majority, if you will, it's the hardworking families that make this country great. Those are the ones that go to work every day. Those are the ones that start small businesses and hire. Those are the people that support our military and most of our charities. And those are the ones that are being ignored. Um, I don't know when it happened exactly. It was probably well before President Obama took office. But when he did take office, the leftist movement really grew. The progressive movement grew. And that was the loudest voice. And it it really um, was not healthy for the United States. And that's why I believe finally people woke up and voted for Donald Trump out of that frustration and realizing we're losing our country. Um, we do have to have secure borders. We do have to have a tax system that helps the middle class and, and actually works for the American people. We need an immigration system that is not completely broken and that benefits our country. We need a strong economy so that our children going to college can come out and actually get a job. All of those things matter. Um, but our trade policies are outdated. Our immigration system is completely broken. Our economy was stagnant under President Obama's. Even in, even in the last four years, could not even break 3%. All of those things combined is the reason why President Trump was elected. And we have so many Republicans in the House and in the Senate that simply refuse to support him and his pro-growth, pro-American agenda. I think that's a big mistake, and I know that you know, I have a backbone. I'm willing to stand up just as I did in the military, just as I did as an FBI agent, and as I did for four years as the congressman. No one can say that Michael Grimm is afraid to stand up. I will, I will be there to support my president. Now, some people might say the next term elections may not be good for Republicans. That's what a lot of people say. But those are a lot of those people, the same exact people that said I could never win my last election and the same people that said Donald Trump could never be the president. So I, I, I have my faith in the American people. I really do. I have my faith in the hardworking Americans that really believe right now that Donald Trump has never gotten a fair shake since the moment he became the president and commander in chief. If you look at the media coverage, it's disgraceful. OK, he does not get 
treated with the same respect that any other president ever has. He's never given the benefit of the doubt. Everything he says is twisted. Um, so regardless, he can he can say something perfectly, even though, granted, he speaks differently than politicians do. But even if he says it perfectly, they'll twist it anyway. So he does not get a fair shake from the media. He He obviously is getting... He's in, in a circle of the firing squad from, from the liberal left, uh, which could also include the media, but actually from the Congress. And then you have the Republicans that are establishment types that are deathly afraid of Donald Trump and the change that he represents because the establishment doesn't want to change anything. They're very happy with the status quo, and that's why they don't support Donald Trump. Okay, now you've just started your campaign. You got a website? I do. It's michaelgrim2018.com. Can you say that again? Just Sure. It's Michael Grimm, and there's two M's in my last name, G-R-I-M-M, michaelgrimm2018.com. Okay, and if somebody wanted to get involved in your campaign or contribute, they get to that website? Absolutely. You can volunteer, and you can contribute just by clicking those buttons on the website. Thank you, Michael Grimm, for your service. Good luck for the future. Thank you so much. Hello, this is Father Frank Pavone of Priests for Life. Adult stem cell research is nothing new. It has been going on for decades and, in fact, has proven helpful in treating various diseases. In the process of this research, nobody has to be killed in order to obtain the stem cells. Embryonic stem cell research, on the other hand, only began in 1998 and does involve killing a new human life in order to obtain the cells. The number of diseases that have been successfully treated with embryonic stem cells is zero. They have shown no medical benefit. And even if they did, such activity is immoral. The end does not justify the means. Adult stem cells have treated various forms of leukemia, sickle cell disease, anemia, and carcinoma. Embryonic stem cells have succeeded in nothing. This is Father Frank Lavone, National Director of Priests for Life. I have children. How can I protect them if something happens? Will my to assets be lost if I go into a nursing home? We have property. How will it affect the ones still here? Who will help us take care of Grandma? These questions can be answered by calling 718-238-6500 for a free consultation from Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, providing dedicated, caring, and highly responsive legal services. They're focused on issues that matter to you, protection of your family, preservation of your assets, and respect of your wishes with dignity. That's all I want from a lawyer, making it easier for my children. Call 718-238-6500. Get a free consultation. Connors & Sullivan's clients don't get lost in the cracks. They have dedicated attorneys who know their clients and the issues that matter most to them. Connors & Sullivan's estate planning, elder law, and probate attorneys work closely with every client. Don't leave behind problems for your family. Call 718-238-6500 and get a free consultation today. Connors & Sullivan. Plan now for later. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome back to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. With me right now is James Bud Robertson, one of the leading experts on the Civil War, distinguished professor emeritus of of history at Virginia Tech. And today he's going to talk to us about Robert E. Lee, a man who didn't used to be as controversial as he is today. How are you doing, Professor? I'm doing fine. I hope you're well. Robert E. Lee, a lot of people want to take down his, his statues. In fact, Church of the Generals here in Brooklyn... They took down a plaque because Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson attended church services there from Fort Hamilton. That's right. And uh, Christ Episcopal Church in Alexandria, Virginia, has done the same. And it's also unfounded. Uh, we're, we're just be- besieged today by uh, uh, 
activists who simply want to take away our history. And so they find uh, somebody whom they do not understand but whom they can pounce upon. And in this case, the statue of Robert E. Lee in Charlottesville, Virginia, really provoked the fight that's, that's now going on. And I, I cannot think of a Southerner less qualified to be a villain in 19th century sins than Robert E. Lee. And uh, but so the fight is on and uh, it continues and the fight is largely from from people who jump to judgment with no understanding. I would say, and sincerely, that most of these activists uh, uh, could not pass on a basic American history exam. But again, one of the evils of our country today is that probably 90 percent of Americans could not pass a basic American history exam, such as uh, what is the Declaration of Independence? Who was Abraham Lincoln? How many branches of government do we have? And we're just woefully ignorant of our past. And the first axiom one learns in graduate school is simple. Any nation that forgets its past has no future. And this is never wavered in 3,000 years of recorded history. And so I think much of this unrest is really a, a basic thing to tear down our government. And, and, and I don't resent that mightily because this nation, as Mr. Lincoln said, is the last great hope of Earth. If When we lose American freedom, there's nowhere else to go on Earth. And so uh, I'm very upset by modern-day conditions. Now, of course, the, you, you know, what some people would say right now, Robert E. Lee is a symbol of the Confederacy. Robert E. Lee was the general, the one general who probably killed more United States soldiers than any other general. And, of course, they're going to say he fought for slavery. What would you say to that? Well, I would say, first of all, that uh, uh, he, he did not fight for slavery. Um, Lee fought for Virginia, and it's hard for people to imagine a person so dedicated to that, but a simple premise will show you, uh, make the point. In 1860, on the eve of war, the United States, quote, quote, was 70 years old. We were, the nation was not old enough to have wisdom. Uh, it had gone through a stormy time. It was still feeling its way. And as I've talked for years and years, it really wasn't a United States. It was a collection of states seeking a common destiny. So the United States had existed for 70 years in 1860. The Lee family had been in Virginia for 225 years. Indeed, when the Constitution was adopted, Virginia was already 180 years old. And so deep devotion to state was real and very, very sincere at that time. Modern generations don't understand this. They look on uh, the situation then through the lenses of today, and you cannot do that. The United States in 1860 was a far cry from what the United States today is. And when you talk about Lee shattering United States soldiers, uh, I think that's grossly misleading. We were not a United States. And the simple premise were, is, were we united? We never would have fought a war to start with. We were terribly divided by slavery, of course, and by other issues, state rights, uh, economic developments, etc. And they all had to be resolved. And they probably would have been resolved if Americans had been patient enough at that time to fall back on the one thing and the only thing that holds this country together, a spirit of compromise. Indeed, the United States Constitution is the thickest manual I've ever seen of compromises. Every statement in it was an agreement reached. And so this recent brouhaha over General Kelly saying a breakdown of compromise is really absolutely without foundation. The country has always had to compromise. Compromise is all that holds us together. 
And if we lose that spirit of compromise, we're doomed. I mean, any professionally trained historian will tell you that. Now, getting back to, to, to Robert E. Lee, I think some of the audience may gain something. The conflict he had when he was offered command, field commander of, of the Union Army at the very beginning of the Civil War. Can you describe yes, that? Yes, he was. And he'd, been, he'd had 32 years of devoted service to the United States Army. He was three times promoted for gallantry in the Army. General-in-Chief Winfield Scott looked on him as a son, and Lee regarded Scott almost as a, as a father. And then comes 1861, and the states begin to secede. And Lee is not a Confederate. He is far from it. He opposed everything for which the Confederacy stood. He, was, he thought that slavery was evil, that secession was illegal, and yet he said, I'm going, I'm, I will not throw my sword against my native state. He was going to defend Virginia. And so when Virginia seceded, uh, Lee felt uh, this devotion to duty, which was the three words that mark his life, as the sense that he had to take. He had to go where his mother's state went. And as he told friends at the time, I cannot draw my sword against my, my country, my birthright, my family and friends. And he's referring to the Commonwealth of Virginia. Well, of course, today nobody pays any attention to state rights, but it was extremely uh, strong back in the days of the Civil War. And I would go so far as to suggest that had Virginia stayed in the Union, I think Lee would have fought for the Union. But his, his absolute devotion to his state was just overwhelming. I know that's very hard for us in the 20th, 21st century to understand that, that your country was Virginia, not the Union. It is, and this is, this is the crux of it. If, if the people who are shouting the loudest had any knowledge of history, they would see how much things have changed. Washington, D.C. today is a great metropolis, uh, but it was, not a, it was a city of 35,000 in 1860. Uh, today, we look on the federal government as, as being a power that does everything for us but breathe. Back in 1860, the only contact the federal government made with you and with me was that it delivered our mail to the local post office. Other than that, state and local governments handled life. Um, people just cannot look at the past for what the present situation is. You have to see things as they did. And state loyalty was extremely strong, extremely so. So people who disregard state rights as a fact in the Civil War need only look at what men like Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson did, men like U.S. Grant and William T. Sherman did. They went with their states. Let me ask you something, you know, because since I went to high school till today, I think there's been a change in how Robert E. Lee is regarded as a military leader, as a general. I think everybody, when I went to high school, considered him the greatest general of the American Civil War. Now he has a lot of detractors floating around out there. Well, we live in a great age of negativism. I mean, so does Lincoln, for that fact. Lincoln was untouchable uh, 10 or 15 years ago. You wouldn't dare say anything flawless about the, any weakness Lincoln had. But as I say, we live in a, a great age of negativism. It's Nobody seems positive anymore about things. And so revisions, revisionists and every generation brings forward revisionists tend to, to pick and choose. And so now they're picking away at Lee. They're picking away at Lincoln. A grant is coming under attack every now and then uh, from from historians. And I think, again, you just have to go back, study carefully the facts, and reach your own conclusions. 
um, what I plan to say when I speak in New York is that between 1865 and 1870, the most crucial years following the Civil War, Robert E. Lee did more himself to bring about reconciliation with the Union than any other American, and that includes Grant, who went from the hero of the war to the White House. Uh, nobody matched Lee for the efforts he made to bring peace between North and South. All of that's forgotten now. Instead, they claim that uh, uh, unreconstructed rebels put up all these defiant monuments in the 1890s. They did no such thing. They didn't have enough money to begin putting up memorials until the 1890s, whereas the Union Northern side got a 20-year start on them. Uh, they put up memorials to men, to individuals who, who were noble in and of themselves. And, of course, Lee can be faulted, and it's easy to fault him, but uh, I always join and uh, reply to people who find fault with Lee by simply saying that, you know, people criticize Lee for what he did or did not do at Gettysburg. Well, if Lee had had 150 years to think about it, as we do, I think he would have made some different decisions at Gettysburg, but he didn't have those, those things. And there are faults with Lee. He's not a perfect general. But he certainly was about as good a soldier as the 19th century produced. Now, getting back to his efforts to create peace, go back to April 1865. We really, you know, I, I mean, in retrospect right now, Lee surrendered to Grant. That's it. We have peace. But it didn't have to exactly. be that way. No, it did not. And that's, that's Lee's grandest moment as an American is what he did not do at Appomattox. He could have followed the natural trend of history and could have followed custom. I mean, this is a civil war being ended. Lee has lost. He could easily have taken a natural course, that is, ordered his men to disperse, take to the byways in the woods, start guerrilla fighting, burning, killing, looting, pillaging, and keep the fires raging for years and years until the North got tired of it and quit. But Lee, in essence, said to do that would destroy forever any chance we ever have of having a real United States that would leave wounds too deep for any healing. And so Lee rejected that idea, and he sat down and, and surrendered to General Grant, showing that underneath it all, uh, even love for Virginia, that was a love of country that motivated Lee. And I don't say this at the expense of Grant. It takes two to dance. Grant was extremely lenient in his terms, Lee was extremely noble in what he did not do. And so I think on that Palm Sunday in April 1865, two American generals served their country well. What did Robert E. Lee do after the Civil War? He was uh, penniless, homeless, uh, left without anything. He thought he might perhaps get a farm somewhere and and um, he just become a quiet and loyal farmer. But he was given, often rather, the presidency of a bankrupt, shot a little school called Washington College. And he took the presidency of it because, as he explained, I have led the young men of the South to battle. I have seen many of them fall at my feet. I will spend the remainder of my life teaching other young men to do their duty and be good citizens. And so for his remaining five years, uh, Lee told endlessly to turn Washington College into one of the finest colleges in America at that time. The, the uh, student enrollment quadrupled in the five years he was there. And incredibly enough, Lee fostered a number of uh, 
improvements that are basic to education today. For example, he's the father of elective courses. And all of us who have gone to college uh, used elective courses. We took courses that we wanted to take as well as courses that were offered in the curricula or in our, in our majors. Uh, he introduced a modern curriculum that he replaced Greek and Latin and ancient theology with mathematics, engineering, American history, uh, things such as that, uh, uh, voluntary chapel service, etc. And he just uh, just turned that little college into a model of higher education, which brought him praise from inventors like Silas McCormick and uh, outspoken northerners like Henry Ward Beecher, uh, the famous abolitionist, all came to praise Lee for what he was doing. You know, and Lee had a choice even in those post-war years. The, the shattered, defeated South was looking to Lee to, to, as an inspiration. And if Lee, if Lee had ever displayed anger, if he'd ever shook his fence or uttered an obscenity against the North, oh, the, the, the explosion might have come again. Lee wouldn't do that. Uh, he would not write his memoirs, for example. He would not attend veterans' reunions. Uh, he would not um, grant interviews. Uh, he would be appalled today to see the Confederate battle flag waving in public. He would be appalled. He actually, and it's almost uh, the most ironic thing of all, he would never want monuments erected to him. He never would have wanted to be the subject of a statue or some sort of memorial. And it was because of that devotion, that, um, that, that dedication to reconciliation that I feel Link Lee deserves those, the monuments he has. Okay, well, very good. If you want to hear more, Monday, December, December 11th at the 3 West Club, 3 West 51st Street. The Civil War Roundtable of New York is going to host Bud Robertson, and you can ask him all the questions you want about Robert E. Lee and the Civil War, and we hope to see you there. Bud, thank, thank you very you much. Thank you so much. I look forward to it. Very good. Thank you. Okay, so, you know, that's one of the reasons we like going to the Civil War Roundtable. You meet such great historians as uh, Bud Robertson. By the way, for those of you that... Uh, Missed it. I think Army beat Navy again. So, oh. we, you know, some of our all our uh, West Point officer friends and, and associates and whatever, you know, congratulations. <laughs> and, you know, I was looking at the John Wayne magazine. I was reminded again, Patrick Wayne was elected to the Western Hall of Fame this year. We didn't give that enough play, I don't think. That's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, you know, he was in McClintock. He was in Shenandoah. He was in uh, the Comancheros, the Searchers, but obviously that, Rio Grande. People, if you look up the the Hall of Fame, he he's up there with the best. And of course, we had a great time with him when he came into New York in October. And those, we'll probably do something again next year. So those of you who want to keep track of it, probably when Patrick and his family come up to New York back, you know, in October next year, we're going to have another event. Now, everybody who was there. And I mean, I might be prejudiced, but everybody that I talked really enjoyed the event. We had a great time. Talking to Patrick, you know, had his picture taken with practically every person in the room if he didn't have every person in the room. And he had a terrible cold, and he just kept on going. Right. Good people. All right. Now, you know, we've got this new time schedule, and I know some people are confused about it, and I'm sometimes confused if you ask me quick. I'm very confused, and people are fussing at me. Oh, right. my goodness. Okay, so when when are we on? We're on Saturday night, barring football games, or, you know, right now, 
basketball sports. games. Any kind of sports. Right. Barring so that, we're on 6 o'clock, 9.70, the answer, 6 p.m. 5 o'clock Sunday, and I think that's going to be good for most of the rest of the year. 5 o'clock Sunday at 9.70, the answer. And because some people were complaining at the station, we're going to be on MCA every Saturday at 8 o'clock because there's no 8 a.m., because there's no football games, there's no baseball games, there's no basketball hockey games at 8 o'clock in the morning. So 8 o'clock in the morning, 570 on a Saturday, you can always listen to us. The problem is it's not live. Right, but, you know, today we had uh, a couple of good interviews. We talked to, to Tom Clavin about baseball. Yeah, and oh, absolutely. I learned a little bit from him because we, we were talking about the DiMaggio brothers and Roger Maris, and he also wrote about Gil Hodges, and again, why isn't Gil Hodges in the Hall of Fame? We all think he should be. Is it too late? No, it's never too late, you know. But, okay. Uh, you know, somebody's got to carry up again. I don't know. Every every ball player you ever talked to who played with Gil Hodges or, or played under Gil Hodges as a manager, you know, would say he belongs in the Hall of Fame. It's just some people didn't quite like him. That's all right. David Kincaid coming on. Oh, no. Is it time to go? Yep. Bye-bye, everybody. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.